Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, DBR podcast listeners, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Are we voice. doing the crazy radio guys? <laughs> the voices. The voices. <laughs> I feel like mine was less egregious than like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I was just trying to ride your wave, buddy. Dude, whatever. It's, it's Wednesday, July 26th, and it is Pastor Rod's favorite actress's birthday. Sandra Bullock was born today. So congrats, <sighs> Pastor Rod. Sandra. You can go watch all of your chick flicks later and just revel in the fact that she was born today. Can you name three movies that she's from? I can't. Or in? I can't. Okay. Aaron Brockovich. Um, Titanic. Ooh, the one with the space, the astronaut gal, that one. <laughs> With the, with, with Woody, Woody Gold, no. Gravity. Gravity. Yes. Yeah. The John okay. Mayer song okay. with, uh, what's the guy's, the guy's name? The guy, uh, George Neil Harrison, George Clare. Yeah. <laughs> George Clooney. George Clooney. He played Indiana Jones. Indiana. No. And Han Solo. That was a uh, Harrison Ford. No, that one sure I do was know. George Clooney. Okay. You're right. Yep. And uh, shock a lot. Waterworld. I think she was in both of those too. I don't know what that means. I don't even know. You know what? I wonder how many people who are not our age, like the Gen Z kids would even know who Sandra Bullock is. Yeah, probably not many. I would, I would be able to, I bet I could count on only one hand at yeah. best. Yeah. That makes sense to us and older, but for them, they probably, probably don't know. Probably don't. Yeah. I don't really find myself watching too many new movies these days. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot of uh, hubbub and potential closing of movie theaters because of that. AMC was struggling and I don't know if they still are, but they were talking about closing down their shop too. It's yeah. And somebody uh, asked somebody in the movie world about that. And his response was like the the death of the, the blockbusters and things like that really yeah. crippled the movie industry mm-hmm. because they basically counted on two release swells. You'd get the release in the theater where they'd get a, a profit from that. And then you'd get the release on DVD where they would get a profit from that. That would even continue into perpetuity. So right. Yeah, I guess that's why there's no good movies out there anymore. Well, speaking of profits, speaking of profits, <laughs> we're not in the profits. No, but you could say that the sons of Korah are in some ways prophetic in what they write. I suppose, especially in Psalm 47. Okay. Especially in Psalm 47. Thank you. So that's a great connection there. Thank you. Yeah, but we should make clear, profit and profit. Those are two different words. Yeah. One is like financial gain and one is somebody that that foretells things. Mm. Yeah. Let's jump into it. All right. Well, Psalm 47, 48 and 49 is where we are at in the Old Testament today, and then we are in Acts chapter 26 today. So uh, if you've enjoyed the 26th, 26th, and yesterday the 25th, 25th chapter, this is where it ends, because tomorrow Sorry. we're only in part of 27, Aww, not all of 27. So but hey, uh, Psalm 47, I, I mentioned this one. it's prophetic in a way, because it is looking forward to the ultimate earthly reign of God mm. and uh, anticipating that, and the sons of Korah are in a way prophesying about what that will be like and so they're celebrating that and this this praise to god clap your hands all people shout to god with songs of joy for the lord service is to be feared right yeah and a great king over all the earth just this corporate call to worship here and we often do that in fact we we do that in our church pastor rod you'll do that before worship and sometimes i'll do that when i go up for announcements and read a psalm as a call to worship what are we doing when we do that with our people I think what I try to do, and I think what we're we're trying to do together, is really help calibrate our minds into doing some some soul searching about what we're actually doing. Like this is not us just singing songs. And man, the temptation is so rife. I mean, I just feel like 
even leading worship, I can so easily just sing the song and mm-hmm. work only on hitting the right notes and strumming the right chords. But what we're really doing has such greater significance. And this psalm really highlights that. We're singing about the king who is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Yeah, and it's it's odd, right? Because it's that concept, he's to be feared. And we read that and we think, okay, well, what does that mean? Servile fear, yeah. like trembling. Right. And and it's and I think another way to, to look at this psalm is just that that fearfulness of just the awe of like when you're when the best player in a sport is on your team and you get to watch that guy go out for you and you're like whoa he's on my team like yeah. I get to be with him and he's playing for for my side right and that's kind of what we get here with this he's the king of all the earth if you uh, keep reading there he reigns over the nations he's on his holy throne the princes of the peoples gather as the people of God of of Abraham the shields of the earth belong to God he is highly exalted man I I I want that. So God, good. I, I, I don't want him on my team. I want to be on his team. Right. right? That's right. Let's get that clear. And, uh, and that, that's, what's so great is, is we are, and we will be in this, as I mentioned at the beginning, mm-hmm. this is the forecast of the millennial kingdom and, and we'll be there at some point with him reigning is what the scripture says about the, the believer, about the Christian alongside of Christ in a, in a supportive role, not in a com- competitive role there, but we'll get to be there during that time, which is amazing to think about. Yeah, it's super cool because this also corresponds to what we're reading in the book of Acts. Paul's confidence came in part from knowing where the end was going to be. He knew he was going to make it to Rome. He didn't have to fear that they're going through some tough seas and that their ship is potentially going to go down. God gave them the confidence that, hey, I've written the end already. You're going to get there. God's giving us confidence that he has the end already planned. We're going to get there. The question is when we get there and how we get there and how much up and down we experience in the interim. But this psalm is one of those confidence boosters because it shows us, man, this is what it's going to be like. We're going to shout with joy. We're going to praise God loudly because he has won the victory. And we get to be with him, right? And that's, if you were with us this past weekend at church, we were talking about that, about the Mm. concept of to know Christ. We were breaking down our mission statement, to know Christ and to make him known, which is this next Sunday. Mm -hmm. But the first one to know Christ and the whole idea is like, yeah, there's a lot of benefits about being in heaven. Like when you read Revelation 21, you look at the no more tears, no more sickness, no more sorrow and everything else. But the thing that trumps all of that is being with Jesus, is being in his presence. It's being with this God that the psalmist is talking about here in 47. Like that's the confidence that we have. And Christ is the key to that for us today is knowing Christ will get us to this point where we get to say, man, we can fear him in that that appropriate fear and not in that like I'm terrified because he's pouring out his wrath on me kind of a fear. Amen. Well, Psalm 48, then the, the focus continues on this, the, the, the concept of the reign of, of God. And now it focuses now on the city of the reign of God, which is Zion. And you've heard us talk about that before. The city of our God is what the ESV titles it. Uh, this is Jerusalem. And I pray and hope that you all get the opportunity someday to go to Jerusalem and see it. It's, it's amazing. Even as though it's been modernized today in so many ways, the, there's still so much there that was there when David was writing this or when the sons of Korah was, were, were writing this psalm that you just see it and it takes your breath away to see these things. It's, it's going to be, it's amazing right now. I can't imagine what it's going to be like in the millennial kingdom when we see the, the, the city there. And then when the new Jerusalem descends and what that's going to be like for all of eternity is going to be phenomenal. So one thing I love about this passage is that it really blesses and even shows the good design of a city. Mm. Sometimes we we can, I mean, I love being out where I am in Texas, man, North Texas, first time here, uh, living in it, having a lot of open space with cornfields and different, uh, you know, different things growing up. It's really cool. I've never experienced this before and, and I love it. Uh, my wife really loves it. She would much rather be a country girl than a city girl. But man, this passage tells us that God's future for us is a city. Yeah. Not to say that all this stuff goes away, but the city is a good and godly thing when, of course, there's no sin involved. So know, Christian, that the end of our time on this planet doesn't 
and with all of us living in 10 acres of corn somewhere in the middle of nowhere, there's a city and that city's God's city. And that's a great thing. Well, that's, that speaks to the communal nature of what's ahead of us too. Great right? point. I mean, that's, that's why attending church is so important. If you want heaven, but yes. you don't want the local church, you're not going to like heaven. You don't want heaven. Right. Because it's about the, the corporate body of Christ. Amen. It's about the whole people of God. But even here, even as this Psalm uh, magnifies Jerusalem, I notice that it magnifies Zion to magnify God. That's because right. God is the one that, that adds significance to Zion. In fact, it opens there with this redundant statement, it seems, in verse 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The Hebrew is gadol there. And it's a, a word that that just stresses the the magnitude and the size and the glory of God, the the uh, the, the greatness of him, which is why it's translated that way. And it's it's him that is to be praised in the city of our God. If, if he was in Waco, it would Waco would be the, the city to be praised because that's where God would be. Hmm. Now, he's not. And if you've been to Waco, you understand why he chose Jerusalem <laughs> over Waco. But still. What if we have Waco people listening, bro? Well, they know. Think about that? They know. They know? Okay. They know. I don't know if they, they know now. I mean, they've got like the silos and Chip and Joanna <laughs> and they've got Baylor. But then outside of that, you... For Wacoites, yeah. Wakens. What do you call? What do you call people from Waco? Wakens. Uh, we ain't coming out. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we ain't coming outins. Is that what yeah. you just said? Well, because never mind. Okay. David Koresh, the whole compound. Uh, yeah, it too was too soon, bro. Too soon. That was like ninety three. I don't. Yeah, know. I remember watching that, that growing ago. up. Anyways, this Zion's a real place, and that's one thing to remember about this too. Yes, it it's, is. It's a real place. It's the city of Jerusalem. It's there today. It's God city. And and pay attention to what's going on, even in the news. When when you're checking in on things, pay attention to what's going on in the Middle East, because that's the the heart of what the the end times is going to have a lot to do with is what's going on over there, and what's taking place there. And like we've been talking about, the Millennial Kingdom will be set up there in Jerusalem as well. Psalm 49 uh, then is a, a psalm here uh, again of the sons of Korah and uh, expressing this great confidence in God. And yet there's this interesting uh, it's a contrast here. Yeah, there's this interesting uh, contrast. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Verses five through nine. He's saying, why should I fear in times of trouble and the times of iniquity come up upon me? Look at verses seven through nine there. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. Mm. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. I, I hear the gospel all over that, right? Yeah. What can we give God for the price of our life? That's right. That's the problem. And that that is the problem. And we need Christ. And then the rest of this chapter, I wrote down next to it. I just wrote Ecclesiastes. Because there's so much about it that just reminds me of Ecclesiastes, just the hopelessness of living for so much stuff that we see the world all around us live for and the the, the foolishness of it and the futility of it um, instead of looking for God and, and looking to God. And, and so when we try to ransom our life with these things, we're not able to, and it, it proves itself out in the end. So one of the things that I saw here in verse six is that to those who trust their wealth that this particular psalm is written toward and even though we may not feel like we're rich or particularly rich in, in our age and stage, really we are. Yes. All of us who are Americans, we have homes and air conditioning and cars that run. I mean, we are wealthy people. And this psalm is for us. It's helping us to understand, look, our wealth will ultimately perish. We can't take it with us. We need not trust our wealth. We need to trust the God of our wealth. And hopefully, 
not get ourselves distracted with acquiring more stuff, but really using the stuff to invest in the kingdom and in the coming, the, the coming kingdom that God's going to bring with them. That's where their true wealth is. So don't get hung up on the here and now. Think about the there and then. And, and, and that's encouraging. And yet I, I, I know sometimes we can read about that or, or we can read other passages that talk about wealth and, and it, it takes on this negative stigma and we can say, okay, so then what am I supposed to do? Is it wrong for me to have money? Yes. But yes. 100%. Go, go sell it all. Go give it all away. <laughs> sell your money. Yeah. Sell your Make money. more money. Who wants $5? <laughs> I'll take it for six. Um, no, but it's the idea because even the writer of Ecclesiastes, even King Solomon talks about the fact that there are good gifts that God has given us to That's enjoy right. yeah. and we should enjoy them as an expression of gratitude and our stewardship of them. 100%. I remember one of my mentors in seminary used to put it this way. He said, you know, PJ, you can look around at some of these bigger homes in the area or things like that, or pe- even people in your church that may pull into the parking lot, a visitor for the first time and they're driving a brand new, whatever, yeah. super nice car. Honda Civic. And yeah, Honda Civic. And in our hearts, we can pass a judgment on that person because they're looking a certain way, living a certain way, driving right. a certain thing. And he pushed back on me. He said, PJ, you have no idea how much they're giving back to God from what they're earning. Right. It may be they're giving nine tenths of what they earn back to God and to other people and to the church. And they're surviving on one tenth. It's just that one tenth affords them to do some pretty amazing things. And they're living out Ecclesiastes, enjoying the good gifts that God has given them. Right, right. So the problem is not having it. The problem is when our our confidence and our trust is there and we're not using those things to steward them in a way that's helpful and wise as God has called us to. Excellent clarification. Let's flip over to the New Testament to Acts chapter 26, because again, it is the 26th today. And uh, we meet a guy in Acts 26 uh, named Agrippa. And you may think, wait a minute, haven't we already met an Agrippa? And I don't think things went really well for Agrippa. Hmm. Uh, back in Acts chapter 12, we ran into an Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. This is Herod Agrippa the second. This two. is his son. Herod Agrippa the first, you'll recall, had an unfortunate end as he was boasting and didn't give glory to God and he fell over and the, the worms had their way with him. Hmm. This is his son, and he was less significant on the world scene than his dad was, but yet still had a, a significant role, and he was really significant in his interaction with the, the Jewish people in the Jewish area, um, and that plays a role into what Paul has to say here to him. But, but Agrippa shows up, and Paul gets to make a defense before Agrippa. And if you remember Jesus' word in Matthew chapter 10, uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent his disciples out and he said to them there, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And in that he, Jesus prophesied that they would appear before kings and governors to make a defense for their hope in him. And here you have a, a partial fulfillment of that because it's Certainly. not only Paul, but you hear you've got Paul appearing before King Agrippa to make his defense and to explain why he is there on trial. And so while he's there, he lays out what he has already uh, appealed to multiple times, that he is there because the hope in the resurrection. He says in verse eight, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Hmm. Um, And then he gives his testimony there and he he talks about how much sin that he had in his life. And, and, And we often do this in the baptism tanks, right? And maybe you haven't been baptized yet, and we look forward to it at Compass here, our, our first baptisms that we'll get to do together as a church family. But one of the way, things that we do is we say, hey, why are you here? What, what are you here to do? And we'll have somebody give their testimony. And so, mon- so many times you'll give the, the, here's who I used to be part of your testimony, and then you'll get to the point of like, and, and Jesus saved me, and now I'm here to be baptized. Mm. But part of the power of our testimony is not just who I was. Paul gives who he was here. Right. He says, I was voting to kill Christians, and I was I was raging fury against them. I was persecuting them. And then he met Jesus, but then Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on and now talks about what he's doing now, the transformed life. And that's so much of the power of this encounter with Jesus and so much of the power of our, our testimonies. 
Why do you think Luke spends so much ink when ink was a premium writing on vellum or whatever he was using at this time to write on? He spends a lot of time, three separate times now, having Paul's conversion shared. Got Acts chapter nine. He does this again. This is now a third time. I'm pretty sure this is the third time he brings it up. What's the deal? Why do we need to pay attention to that? Clearly scripture wants us to see this. I think first it's, it's one of the most powerfully transformative stories of conversion that we find anywhere. I mean, uh, this was a guy that could not have been more against the church than he was when God saved him. And so I think that's part of it. I think it's also who he's appearing before in each of these testimonies that he's, he's providing. I think there's significance there and it's part of the story. It's part of what's going on. It's part of the interaction. This actually took place. This is history. And so Luke's not wanting to gloss over this and move on to quote unquote, the important stuff. This is the important stuff. And so Luke's recording this. Um, even when we go back to, to his original point of writing Luke and Acts, he was writing that that person might have confidence, Theophilus, whether that was a real person or not, Mm -hmm. might have confidence in Christ in that, that all of this stuff is legitimate. And this is a huge part of that is the testimony of how God works in people's lives. Yeah. I kept on scratching my head. I mean, and that's, a, that's a great point. I think those are all valid. I wonder if there's something in here about maybe just the, the, the element of using story to tell people what God has done for you. I know there's more to it than this. And I, and I think I, I still haven't scratched the itch in my own head about, okay, Luke, what are you trying to get at? Why spend so much ink on this? I know there's lots of good guesses. Lots of good reasons why he's thematically inserting this here. And I know, just to remind you guys too, remember in the book of Acts, we're going from Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. Paul's on his way to the ends of the earth, Rome, the central of the ends of the earth at that point, uh, to help them understand who Christ is and what he's done. So keep that in mind as we continue working through some of these things. It's also interesting that there's there are little variances with each of these. It's yeah, not as though it's the same, more. right? Even yeah. like in this one where it says, Jesus said to Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Yeah, that's new. That's something yeah. he hadn't said before. Right, which the goads were meant to prod an animal to go in a certain direction that that animal maybe didn't want to go initially. And so Jesus- which suggests what? Saying that to Paul. Paul didn't want to go the way that God wanted him ultimately to go, but God was going to overcome that. And so he was saying to Paul, Paul, quit resisting my- plan for your life, which is that you would be a servant, a Christian, a Christian. So do you think Paul already was starting to get that this was a, this was right before he had actually gotten converted? I I mean, I got to think, look at Nicodemus, right? As a case study. Yeah. There was curiosity amongst the Pharisees and some were believing and not wanting to come forward because they feared their other, their other compatriots finding out and getting angry with them. Right. And I wonder if Paul's part of Paul's vitriol and anger towards the church was like, I, I want to go the opposite direction because he was feeling that tug. Maybe, maybe mm. this is all speculative, but maybe the conviction was setting in that maybe this Jesus guy was who he said he was. And to avoid that, he's going as far the opposite direction as he possibly can. Interesting insight. Yeah. It sounds like God's sending him the right direction. He's goading him to go toward Christ. Right. And Paul is resisting until God has to really knock him off his high horse, right. as the saying goes. Because remember, he was there with Stephen, Stephen's testimony. Right. He was there. He was that listening to him. all that. That's one of the goads mm-hmm. in Paul's life, right? Yeah. All of us had goads. I mean, if you think back to your pre-conversion state and your your story, God was giving you go- little goads to, to push you to the point that he brought you to faith in Christ. Right. Um, maybe worthwhile to think back on that and, and to give him thanks for those things even in our lives. Indeed. Well, he continues on and uh, I, I love the description here, the contrast here and what the, the call to faith is in verse 18, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, sanctified by faith in Christ. Oof. Just Jesus laying it out for us there. Um, 
And so Paul says, so I, I was not disobedient. And here's an interesting thing, because in our area of, of this region, it, there you will run into some people that will say repentance is not a part of the gospel. You don't need to command someone to repent in order to present the gospel to somebody. Mm. And they will argue that that was a, a call when we see it from John the Baptist and Jesus, that that was a call to national Israel to repent and not a call to the church. Well, we've got a problem. They have a problem, I should say, in verses 19 and 20, because Paul says here, but he declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all regions of Judea and also to the Gentiles, which is all non-Jews, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. Sounds like Paul and James aren't in opposition. No, repentance is clearly here for Paul, a part of the presentation of the gospel. Is it a work? No. Is it a gift of God just like faith? Yes, 100%. Mm. But it's there and it's expected of anyone who's truly a follower of Jesus. This is not a later uh, mark of spiritual maturity that you get. This is not some second blessing down the road. This is here and now at the moment of conversion. There's a call on on a, a penitent sinner to repent from their sins and put their trust in Jesus as their savior. And what a repeated and needed message in today's church age when people feel like they can do anything and kind of be anyone they want to be and still be within the umbrella of a Christian. No, uh, so hard and it's so interesting, Pastor PJ. So many people today are into the autonomous, like I I do me, I speak my truth. I'm going to live my truth. I need to be authentic to who I am. And sadly, the church has imbibed some of that ideology and, and it's utterly false and in opposition to everything that we see in the scriptures. God doesn't want us to live our truth right. and to do our thing. God wants us to do his thing because our way is wrong. And there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction and death. And therefore, what really the whole for the whole duration of the Christian's life, we're learning how to live truly as Christians under the leadership, the tutelage of Christ by submitting ourselves to him, dying daily to our sin and living fully by his spirit. Right. And, and parents, when you look at that verse in verse 20, if you've got kids that have begun to express interest in the things of Christ or saying, hey, I, I think I'm ready to be saved. I think I want to be saved. And they can tell you what the gospel is and and they know the gospel and they know that they're a sinner and they, they want to come to faith in Christ. This is important for us to remember as parents, right? We want to give them confidence. We don't want to ever undermine their desire to be saved and and cause them to fall into this loop of thinking that they've got to work for their salvation. And that's a danger, Right. right? right? But we also need to make sure that as parents, we're watching their lives. Are they bearing fruit? as it says here in this context, in keeping with repentance. Are we seeing this transformed life in the life of our kids? And if you are parents, encourage that, praise that, point that out to them. Say, hey, you know what? I've, I've seen, I think I, I've seen the spirit at work in your life through these particular areas here. Mm. Uh, but then again, the other thing too, is if you have a kid who's particularly young, who makes that profession and you just, there's, there's not much there. And it's hard to de- decipher this when they're real young, but you just, you don't see a lot there. That's something to tuck away as well. Not to point the finger at them and go, Hey, you, you're not bearing enough fruit because again, we don't want to fall into the the category of them trusting in their works for salvation, but it's right. for you to kind of tuck away to go, okay, what, how do I disciple them best in this context? Yeah. Keep repenting, keep trusting. That's some right. good advice. Right. Right. Well, I love the end uh, where where they're going. Wait, are you trying to save us, Paul? Is that what you're really after? Yes. And yes, Paul says, I am. yes, I am. I, I wish that you were as I am, except for these chains, except maybe not in jail. He clings them together. Clink, clink. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you were as I am, minus these clink, clink chains. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just going at it, which Theatrics, the boldness the is so good. Yeah. And then again, no one knows why Paul deserves to be in jail. And that's how it ends again. And they say, man, if you hadn't appealed Rome, we would have just let you go. And there's this temptation. Would you have though? Would you have? I see, that's the thing. I don't think so. 
Well, they say that they wanted to so. send him back to to Jerusalem, right? To let them be, to let them kill him, right? Exactly. So I'm, I, I don't believe him, right? But you may feel that when you read that, you may be like, "Oh man, Paul, why'd you have to appeal to Rome?" But remember, that was God's will. That was mm-hmm. God's plan. That's where Paul wanted to go. That's where God wanted Paul to go. And it's on Rome's dime. And it's on Rome's dime. So this is not a tragedy in Paul's eyes. Also, not a tragedy would be you tuning in again tomorrow to listen to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Like the opposite of a tragedy, though. It would be a comedy giving. I don't know that. Com- I think the no. comedy is the opposite of the tragedy. Uh, okay, I guess. We'll try to bring a little bit of that tomorrow. We'll, we'll try. Anyways, no we'll promises. join you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Which may or may not be funny. <laughs> Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.